When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all the generation also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he has done for Israel. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dee. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and it's um, great to have you here. It's not Redemption North Dakota, contrary to how you feel right now. But um, also, by way of uh, introduction, I want to give you all a heads up. I have a speech impediment, um, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go. Um, partially, again, I have hypothermia right now. So um, I do, actually, there's, uh, we actually did this on purpose. Uh, some of you will see a football game this afternoon um, between the Minnesota Vikings and the, some other team um, from Washington. I forget who that. No, the Seattle Seahawks. And it's supposed to be with a wind chill um, way negative zero. And so um, we're, you're seeing how tough people are this morning because uh, you can stand in solidarity with them. And some people like Alex, when he did the introduction, you noticed he didn't have sleeves on. He's like those, he's like those linemen that are just making a statement. I'm like those like wimpy quarterbacks that have sleeves on. So, um, but so anyways, you're watching that game. You'll know how they feel. It'll be just like we are right now. But just on that note, actually, we um, uh, we are talking with the school district about that. So keep coming back. Right? There's an over under bet going on on whether or not it'll be warm here next week. But um, uh, I said it though. I I mentioned right. The more charismatic we get, the warmer we'll be. So there's a challenge. Um, I saw a guy uh, has a walker here, and he has a horn on it, and he said he might get crazy and honk that horn. So we can do that. We can get warm in here together um, this morning. And um, well, actually, as we get into it here, um, go ahead and turn with me to Judges uh, chapter 1. We're gonna, it's going to be a while before we get there, but we'll get there, okay? We're doing um, a lot this morning to build up to introduce our series in Judges and um, we're going to walk through uh, um, Judges chapter 1, 2, and then the first part of chapter 3. So we've got a ton to cover. So go ahead and turn there with me if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, hold your hand up high and somebody will get you a Bible. También si necesitas la Biblia en español, solamente levanta su mano y diga español. We want to make sure everyone can have a Bible that they can read and understand so keep your hand up high if you need one. This isn't an auction. Keep it up. And, um, and uh, also, if you don't own a Bible, you do now, okay? This is our gift to you. We want to, um, especially during this series in Judges, we're going to be in this series for seven weeks. And I want to challenge you and invite you to, to come all seven weeks because um, we, we intentionally come under the teaching of God's Word here. We spent a year in the book of Mark, and then we went through the Advent Series And now as we get into Judges, we believe that, that God shapes us as we continually um, come under his word to be shaped by him. So again, uh, come, bring your Bibles, underline stuff, ask questions, because I'm excited for where, where we're headed over these next almost 
two months. And actually, here's where we're going. Um, you'll, you'll see up here on the, on the screen here where we're headed um, this morning even, just so, so you know, some of you engineer types that kind of need to know where we're headed. Since we're covering a lot, I want to give you a heads up on where we're going. We're going to um, start out with an introduction to Judges, okay? We're going to just look at what Judges is all about, where we are in the overall picture of God's story, where we find ourselves as we study a book. It's just good to know what's before, what's after, and kind of where we are in God's story. And then um, we're going to see uh, kind of Israel's take their explanation of where they are and why they are where they are. And then we'll see in chapter two, kind of more like God's take. Here's a hint. He's right. Um, but we'll kind of see God's take on why they are where they are. And then we'll see an example or a picture, a snapshot of, of the cycle of sin that we'll see continually throughout the book of Judges. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let me go ahead and pray and uh, we'll get into it here together. Um, Lord, thank you for this time together, this uh, opportunity to be um, here as your people, as your church, Lord, to gather um, together. We, we do pray, um, even I've joked about the cold and stuff, but we just want to be reminded, Lord, we have, um, I definitely confess, an entitled, forgetful heart often, and Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, and um, while we do hope the heat uh, situation gets figured out, we, are rem- we, uh, we remember many, even in our own city, who are, are cold or without homes, um, and certainly people all over the world who have never known the kind of things that we get to know and take for granted. So Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, that your good news will inform us and, and compel us to be grateful and to be, um, to be a light in the world in every, in every way. And so, um, uh, yeah, Holy Spirit, I pray that as we get into the, into the word right now, I pray that you will enable our hearts to hear from, uh, from, from the word and that we will be shaped and formed. And, and that's a work that I certainly could not produce or conjure up. So we need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have, uh, have you ever found yourself in a place where you're like, how did I get here? Well, how did I get here and how do I get out of here? Like, uh, what, you know, I don't know if you've ever maybe gone through a season in your life. You've kind of been on a trajectory or some kind of a spiral and you're like, how did I, how did I end up here? Um, kind of, you know, perhaps over, that's happened to me a number of times over the holiday season. My pants don't fit and I'm like they've been shrinking in the dryer and then I'm like how did I get here I don't remember this and um just kind of side note shivering helps with that so again you're welcome um uh but 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 how did you know it's I can think of many times again whether it's you know something physical something spiritual something in a relationship whatever it it might be um one interview I read specifically that, that helped me understand this was with a man, um, actually a serial killer, Ted Bundy, um, toward the end of his life, before he would be executed for the, the horrible um, rapes and murders that he had committed, was interviewed by a pastor, James, James Dobson. And uh, Ted Bundy said that he put his faith in the Lord, that he had become a Christian while in prison, and, um, and, and he seemingly had a repentant, contrite heart and so he with a fairly sober mind kind of shared like honestly hours before his uh before he would be put to death he shared um his own process and how he ended up where he was 
You know, because you ask someone, how, how did you get there? What kind of home are you from? What was your family like? What's your upbringing life? And he, like? And he, he shared, you know, it, he's like, honestly, I had really good parents. Nothing traumatic that I know of really ever happened to me. Um, and, 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 and I have really no, he was born in a, actually into a Christian home. Um, and, and he just shares as he processes, he shares, I got onto a cycle. In his case, it was with pornography. And he said, it basically, I, I got into a downward spiral that went untethered. And one thing led to another. And then I eventually took a step and I began to act out some of the things I had seen and imagined. And that transpired into terrible, horrible, ugly sin. And, and, and again, at the end of his life, he processed, man, how did I get here? And, 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 um, and that's a, it, it might seem like a harsh story to enter into, but I've, I've actually said this before that as we get into Judges, guys, this is a PG-13 plus, like the 80s version of PG-13. If you, you know, today it's R-rated. It's an, it's a, it's an intense um, intense book that we're going to be walking through, but the reality is, is, is Israel walking through. How did we get here? You know, wh- how did we end up in this place? And so we're going to see just story after story of how they get to these really broken places and then how God delivers them out of that and then how they get back into it and how they just go through this cycle of sin and the the overarching message of Judges, okay, you can write this down or we'll actually have it up here on the boards every week you'll see, is there's, there's um, in, in, in chapter 17 and chapter 21, the identical phrase is, is said, and it says this, it says, there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And so that's the theme, that's how Israel gets there, is they're in this broken place of constantly doing what they want to do, and there's no king there. So before we get into Judges 1, let me explain kind of why that's so important, the fact that everyone just did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in the land because um, if you just read through the Bible, as we encourage you to do kind of cover to cover, it's a story. It's the story of God. It's who God is and what he's doing from beginning to end. He's the author and the hero of the story. And so that's the way that we love to read through the Bible. That's the way we encourage you to do that. And if you were to read through the story of God, you come to Judges and it is like you get whiplash. It is like, whoa, whoa, what just happened? Because let me just bring us up to speed in the story of God. Okay, In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates everything and he creates it to reveal his glory and his splendor and his character and his power. And God says, let us make man in our image because God said, I want to reflect myself. I want image bearers of me. And so God created you and me and us. He created humanity to reflect him in every way and that that relationship would be defined by God being God and us being his people. And that through our relationship with him, that God would be king, that God would rule and that he is a good and gracious and kind ruler and that all of life our identity and our purpose would be lived in response to him and that is the way he designed it that's the way it's supposed to be but Adam and Eve the first people 
and like you and I can relate with because now we all, by nature and by choice, said, no thanks, God, um, I don't want that. I don't want you to be king. I, I want to be king. I don't want you to rule. I want to rule. I don't want you to define life. I want to do it. So I'll take it from here, and I want to live the way I want to live, where everyone does what's right according to his or her own desires. And that's the mess that we are in today. And then God enters in. So in his story, he focuses in on one man, Abraham. And he says, through you, the entire world will be blessed. Because there's brokenness, there's destruction. And God focuses in on one family. And then Abraham has Isaac. And Isaac has Jacob. And those three often go together. They're referred to as the patriarchs of the church. And it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, there, um, and, and there's a God's story of, of restoration is continuing to unfold. And then Jacob has 12 kids, right? He has to outdo his dad and his grandpa. So he has 12 sons. They're referred to as the 12 um, sons of Jacob or the 12 tribes of Israel. So are you keeping track with me? Because now we're picking up steam toward judges. So one of those sons, Joseph, Right, every family has to have one. He's like, I'm the greatest. I don't do anything wrong. I've never had detention. I have a 4.0, all this stuff. And his brothers get jealous of him and they beat him up. They throw him into a ditch. I'm the youngest of four boys, so I can relate with these things. And he gets thrown into a ditch and then he gets, they're about to kill him, but they sell him into slavery. Okay, he goes to Egypt. And um, while he's there, God gives him favor and he, and, he, and he keeps all this food and he's a really smart, wise man. And, and so his brothers and his father come and live with him in Egypt, and it's good, and he has favor. But then the Pharaoh of Egypt eventually dies, and their family starts to grow. The people of God, Israel, start to grow as time goes on. And then they find themselves in, if you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt, that's where we are right now, okay? Moses, if you're familiar, is raised up during a time when God's people are now living in slavery and oppression in Egypt. And they're, and they're in this horrible place, and they cannot live as God's people under his rule and under his reign because they're enslaved and they're having to live amongst these other gods, these false gods. And so God says, I'm going to deliver you because my purpose for you, that I would be your God and you would be my people and you would be a light to the nations is not happening. So I'm going to deliver you. So Moses is raised up and Moses, right, let my people go. Moses leads the people out of Egypt and they start wandering around because of their own sin and God is forming them that he would be their God and they would be his people. For 40 years, they wander in the desert and then Joshua okay we're almost there and then Moses dies he doesn't get to go into the promised land and Joshua now is the deliverer and the leader and then Joshua which is the book right before Judges um, Joshua leads the people into the promised land and Joshua is this exciting book it's like a church camp kind of feel it's just like things are going they're conquering people right they're walking around the uh, you know the Jericho wall, you know, seven times, and they're seeing God deliver and all these things. And if you're reading it, you're like, man, all they got to do now is go back from church camp and just, you know, break up with the girlfriend or boyfriend that they made all these promises that they're going to do, right? Go do all the things that you see. Just go do it and you'll be good. Like God's promises are about to be fulfilled. We don't need the rest, all this stuff. We don't need it now. The New Testament, we don't need that. Like we're just going to go be good now because God's already done it. And then you pick up in Judges and um, things don't go that way. It, 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 God's land doesn't look the way he said it's supposed to be. And, and life with God as God and his people 
as his people doesn't look the way you see that it's supposed to look. And so now we enter in to Judges. Judges 1.1 says, after the death of Joshua. So Joshua, the leader who's taking them into the land, he dies. And now we enter into the period of the judges. And so, um, again, just so you can see where we're at right here, um, th- this, is the, this is the time frame. Again, for you historians, engineers, whatever, those of you who don't care, um, you don't need to. But this is where we are in the span of history, okay? Um, Joshua is taking them in. Um, when he dies, that's right around 1380 B.C. And then for right around 380 years is where we're going to be these next seven weeks. That's the period of the judges is about 380 years. And that leads up to the period of the kings, with Saul and then King David and then, his, um, and, then, and then his son Solomon. And that's right around 1000 BC. If you've never understood what that means, before Christ or, or before BCE is before the common era, that's Jesus. Okay, So, so this is about 1300, 1400 years before Jesus where we're at in the story. All right, are we kind of up to speed here on, on, on getting in, on building momentum, on understanding the anticipation going in to judges. And so then again Joshua ends it's like whiplash and now they're asking how did this happen? Cuz they're now living in this promised land but so are other people. And they're now there they're free to worship God, to live life where God is God and and they are his people. And yet there are all these other gods and there are all these other kings. And 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 there's no king in Israel and it's like how did we get here? Why are we here? And so that's where we enter into now Judges 1 takes us through basically Israel's take. Okay, this is like Israel's kind of recap of what's happened. And so Israel explains, yeah, um, things are good, right? The land, we've got some land, we're no longer enslaved to Egypt, but it's, it's different than we expected. It's not shalom. It's not peace on earth. It's not goodwill to men. It's not where God is God and his people are flourishing under his headship, living as a light to the nations, showing the world what it looks like to live in dependent relationship with God. That's not happening. And, and, and so Israel's take is this. Um, you can see an example of it. Um, essentially, it walks through how each of the tribes took possession of the land and established themselves in the promised land. And they all have a twist on it or a spin. They say, this is what happened. And you see in verse 19 is just an example of the tribe of Judah. It says that they conquered. It says, the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And it goes on with each tribe. It explains what happened, what they did, and it's, there's, it actually gets progressively worse. And in this case, it says, yeah, um, they took possession. God was with them, but they couldn't fully drive everyone out. They couldn't fully take possession of the land. They couldn't fully live under God's rule and reign because these other guys, man, you should have seen them. They were giants. They had chariots of iron. That's why, that's why I'm not living the way God has called me to be. That's why we're in this place. That's how we got here. And however we're going to get out of here, it needs to make sense of these chariots of iron. That's the deal. It's, it's their fault. 
And guys, if you um, are familiar with anyone, if you yourself or anyone in your family has ever walked through any kind of a, a substance abuse, any kind of addiction, whatever it might be, or perhaps for you yourself, if you stop and you're honest enough with yourself and you ask the question, how did I get here? There's a temptation to blame the circumstances. There's a temptation to say, well, you don't know where I came from. You don't know my dad. You don't know what it's like to grow up in this context. And that stuff is really, really important. Hear me. I never want to downplay the realities of, of, of injustice, the realities of pain in the world, the reality of living without a father or a mother in a broken home, of abuse, of sin that's been done to us, and, 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 and the reality of life lived in a broken world that's not the way it's supposed to be. However, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason we are where we are cannot be hung on the hooks of our circumstances and our surroundings. If you've ever gone to Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been to quote quite a few of those. Many members of my family have walked through substance abuse and alcohol abuse. And what's, what's the thing that you have to say? If you want to participate in the meeting, you have to introduce yourself and you have to identify really the reason for why you're there. Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. My name is so-and-so, and I'm an addict. And there's a lot of conversation about whether or not that's taking on a false identity or things like that. If you've ever heard that, um, I don't think that's what's going on. You can still be a child of God, a restored person through the person and work of Jesus, and yet acknowledge that you're in your circumstances because you have a problem, because you have taken on a choice to, to be an alcoholic or an addict. And so that's what's happening there is you're coming to your place, you're saying, you know, that's good and fine, let's talk about our circumstances, let's talk about the reasons that maybe have led us to be where we are, but at the end of the day, foundationally, I'm in this place because I chose to be here. I'm in this place because I chose to give myself to something else to rule over me. Because I thought that I could exercise my own freedoms that in turn resulted in slavery. That's why I'm here. And Israel doesn't do that. Again, all of chapter one is essentially Israel's take. And each time they're like, the chariots of iron, the giants. Oh, you don't know what happened. You don't know what it's like to live here. And it, and it ends in explaining that one of the tribes is, in fact, not even in control of the land that they, they take over. The tribe and the people of Dan are backed into the hill country, and they're under oppression already, right from the get-go. And it's all because they have chosen to live as they wanted to live apart from God's rule and reign, and they didn't want to do what God said they were called to do as his people. So then we get into chapter 2, and we see God's take. We see that God says, um, th this is why you are where you are. Read with me. We, we um, read this at the beginning, but pick up with me in Judges chapter 2, um, verse 10. This explains why they are where they are. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So that's the generation that was with Joshua. Right? So Joshua led and all that generation that had followed God, that had, that had obeyed God, it says this. They were gathered to their fathers. That means that they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. 
And that's other gods. They served other gods. This is absolutely tragic. Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, accounts a absolutely tragic end to the legacy that God had called his people to pass on what it means to follow him. It says this. It says, read with me again. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so what this is saying is that their fathers, their grandparents, the community that they lived in, didn't pass on what life looked like under the rule and reign of God. And so um, it says they didn't know. They didn't know these things. Now, let's be clear. They know, right? It's not like because they took Christmas off the Starbucks cup, all of a sudden they had no idea who Jesus was and they'd never heard this stuff. And, oh man, like the world is coming to an end. They knew it, right? Like, just like in our day, by the way, no one really cares that much. It's, if those kinds of things are made a big to-do and social media and things like that, and it's not like the church is gathering together like, how do we get Christmas back on Starbucks cups? But really, that's, we, we settle for these really silly little arguments when we miss the tragic reality of where we are. The word Christmas isn't going to bring us to a place of remembering what it looks like to live life under the good rule and reign of a holy and loving God who sent his son Jesus to give us a relationship with our creator. Just, and so these people knew these, they knew the ideas, they'd heard of God, the God of Israel, they've, but their parents, their family, their church community failed to show them what life looked like, what all of life looked like, living under the good and gracious rule and reign of God. And it's an indictment on them. And this is the Shema, right? Some of you who have come here consistently, you've heard often at the end of our service when we're sent out in the benediction, the sending out of God's people in response to the good character of our God, we read the Shema, and it's this. This is the Shema, which every good Jewish family would have known. It says this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's one God. Hear, O Israel, hear the people of God. There's one God. There's not many gods. And tell this to your family. Tell this to your kids. So for me, what this looks like, I'm a pastor. I preach at my kids for an hour a day. Sit down, kids, and I just give a certain no. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying in every facet of life, as you're going, as you're walking, as you're laying down, as you're stumbling through, as you're tempted to gossip about your coworkers, as your neighbors do something, as just happened to us, as your reindeer get stolen from your front porch in the morning, um, whatever happens in your life, teach it to your kids. When you mess up, when you yell at your kids, when you kick a toy, when you act out in anger, when, when you're before dinner, when the dinner gets burned, when, when the soccer coach isn't coaching the way you think he or she is supposed to coach, when you come to church, when you gather, when you leave, when you're fired from your job, when you lose a loved one, in the realities, in the trenches of everyday life, 
show, tell, explain what life looks like in relationship to a holy and loving and powerful God. And life is the context. Life is the opportunity to do that. Guys, I want to say that as a church, this is exciting to me because we're entering into a season. We just mentioned mentorship and we just mentioned some other things that we're we're growing in um, as a church. We're starting to talk more about what children's ministry needs to look like at our church. And as as we launch more children's classes and then as we move into a phase, we meet in a junior high school with tons of kids from broken homes and tons of families who wonder what is life supposed to look like and so what would it look like to establish a youth group and establish a youth ministry and to disciple families and college students and everybody and what it looks like in all of life to live in light of the good news of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing and the relationship he's called us to live with him. So as this should be both convicting and encouraging. Okay, I know we have some expectant moms and families in here and we have uh, some young families in here. This should be encouraging to you because you are not called to be perfect. All right, you don't have to give your kids, your kids don't have to love kale and your kids don't have to speak Latin by the time they're three and it's crazy. You just, this burden of to be a perfect parent, just we pile it on ourselves. And it's all stuff that's, that's not what God's calling us to. Because this should be convicting to us because the reality is God's calling us to use every facet of life, every opportunity as individuals, as parents, as couples, as families, as a whole church to show and reveal and tell to pass on to generation to generation what it looks like to live in relationship with God, what it looks like that he is king and that we are his people. And there's a stark warning right after that Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm not going to read, um, read all of it here, but it's essentially a warning that says you're going to be tempted to grow complacent. It says, it says take care lest you forget the Lord your God, lest you forget when things get easy, when, when, when your house is finally built, when you finally get that good job, when you finally get that relationship you were hoping for, when you finally get whatever, when things get easy, you're going to be tempted to forget God. Take care. And that's exactly what Israel does, is they forget God. There's no king in Israel And they live amongst other gods. And everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And so what we'll see that I think every single person in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, can relate with, is a cycle of sin. And we'll see that pointedly kind of in our faces as we walk through Judges, a cycle of sin. And the cycle is this. And it's without hitch. It goes time and time again all throughout Judges. We see sin And then that leads into oppression, and then that leads into supplication, and that leads into salvation, and that leads into rest. So look at this, memorize it, take note, because it's going to go over and over and over again. We're going to walk through this cycle. And um, let me just again say, right, because I know some of us are prone to this here. We're here, and we're like, yes, we're going to read Judges, and we're going to read about this cycle, and we're going to read about everyone out there. So we're going to come to church and we're going to get our, our, you know, holy grenades and we're going to launch them at society out there. Well, here's a little wake-up call. Um, Judges 
God has given it, to, given it to us to be a mirror right in our face to slap us upside the head and say, no, 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 this is the people of God. All right, this isn't public schools. This isn't whoever, whoever in kind of the boogeyman out there is that we like to attack. No, this is, this is us. This is God's people forgetting what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of our creator. And this is saying we fall into a cycle of complacency. We allow common sense to replace faith and dependence. We embrace worshiping other gods. And then we finally call out for help, and God always consistently remains faithful, and he helps. And then we enter into a time of rest, and then our propensity is to grow numb, is to forget if we only go to church twice a year, we come every once in a while, or we sit in the driver's seat and we just kind of dabble in community and we don't submit ourselves to the, the, the shepherding rule of God taking us through all of life and community and worship and gathering in his word, then we forget and we enter right back into sin. And we go cycle and it goes around and around and around. But as we'll see as we march through Judges, before we look at this first example of the cycle, Guys, the cycle is not a merry-go-round. If you're on a cycle of sin that I just explained and you go from sinning, from, and sin in a nutshell is what I talked about earlier. It's ultimately saying not God. No thanks, God. I don't want you to be king. I want to be king. I don't want to do what you say is good and true and beautiful for me in my life. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to live under the freedom of your rule. I want to, I want to um, believe the lie that I can be free apart from you. And in so doing, I enter into slavery, sin, oppression, then calling out, supplication, then salvation. God rescues, and then there's rest, and then we forget again. But guys, again, this is not a merry-go-round. It's a toilet. The merry-go-round that we trick ourselves into believing, oh, I'm in kind of a funk right now. I'll come back. I'll bounce back around. I'll get there. I'll, I'll rededicate in the new year. I'll make a, a promise, a proclamation. I'll go to another church camp or whatever our v version of that is, and then I'll come down and I'll make it right again. And then, you know, I'll get, get complacent. I'll come back around. But as we'll see here, it's not just a, it's not a merry-go-round that just comes back around to point A. It's more like a toilet that's on a trajectory that gets worse and worse and worse. That the more complacent we grow, the, 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 the shorter the cycle becomes, and the more, uh, the more ugly the reality of the oppression that we're in, the, the slavery to sin that we're in. And the message that we'll see time and time again, though, is this. Left to ourselves, when you and I are king, when you and I do what's right in our own eyes, we fail. And yet, always, unwaveringly, God remains faithful. And so now, just as we kind of wrap this first time up, we're going to see the just this picture. And the first judge, the first deliverer, his Othniel, right? So if you think that judges is just someone to name your kids after, I don't know if any of you have a kid named Othniel. But um, by the way, you'll see it is not. That's, the point is not be like these people, be like Gideon and Samson, and um, it's not at all like that. And we'll see as we walk through this story more and more. But let's just look at the cycle. First, pick up with me in Judges chapter 3. 
verses 7 through 11. In these short four verses, we see the cycle over and over and over again. In verse 7, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Sin, cycle point number one. The people of Israel forgot God and they sinned. And they serve the Baals. They serve the other gods around us. Right? We don't, oh, this Baal, it's actually, it, I won't get into that. It's not actually how it's pronounced, but we'll say it because it's easier. So the Baals, we serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And it's easy. We sit right here in 2016 and we're like, we don't serve other gods, right? There's one God, right? We, God with a capital G and there's no other gods. But guys, that is a lie. We have absolutely got to be honest with ourselves and say, there we are swimming in a world of other gods. We just don't call them gods. So we lull ourselves into believing that there's just one God and we worship one God and we don't, we're not tempted to worship the Baals or the Ashtaroth or all these things. But oh, do we ever worship other gods? Just like the people of Israel, we forget God and we synchronize our lives with all the other gods. The Ashtaroth and the Baals were fertility gods. And not just if you're walking through infertility, which I've shared before my wife and I have walked through. But in their day, they, they would worship these gods so, yes, they could conceive and produce more children and live life like that. But they, it was a fertility in every way. It meant like productivity, success. Right? Am I, are we getting a little uncomfortable here? And this is what it was. Hey, if you worship these other gods, if you compromise in this way, come on, if you compromise in this way, you'll be a little more fruitful. Hey, if you just give in here and this God, the God of Wall Street or the God of skimming a little off the top or the God of dog eat dog world, climb the ladder, the God of common sense rather than surrendering to the God of the Bible, the one true God and living life in faith, we compromise and we embrace every other God of consumerism, of success. And they believed, and they, they were in an agrarian society. And so they believed, if I worship um, these other idols, I'll go, I'll sleep with, you know, temple prostitutes. And what that does is that excites the gods out there and they will then produce fruit. They will make the ground fertile. And so I'll go do those things and then these gods will give me back in return. And again, because we're more civilized in our day, we don't see that we're doing the exact same thing. That we're compromising. We're, we're kidding ourselves into believing we're different because we don't call them gods. But we too forget God. We forget his ways and his rule and his reign and we do what's right in our own eyes. And the result is slavery. In verse 8, you see that the people had forgotten God. And then it says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cush, Cushon Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushon Rishathaim for eight years. The anger of the Lord was kindled against him. We're going to get into the anger of God and God's righteous anger as we go through Judges. There's going to be ample opportunity to talk more about that but let me just say it's like this sometimes the sin of Israel is equated to prostitution 
And God says, I am the bridegroom. I love my bride. I pursue my bride. I pursue my people. And when my people go wayward and start prostituting themselves to every other God, start believing that the next thing or job or relationship or whatever it might be will satisfy them rather than the relationship that I have with them, like a good, righteous husband should be, he's angered. And that's a display of his love. And so he's angry. And in this context, he sends another, another group of people to um, oppress them. For eight years, they are oppressed. And then in verse 9, they call out. We see supplication in 9a. But when the people of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel. They cried out. They finally get to that point and they see, man, it's not supposed to be this way. God is God and we are his people and we, I don't want to live life worshiping all these other gods. God, help me. Help me. I'll never do it again, right? Make all these bold promises, but they just say they cry out for help and though God could say, though he rightfully, and again, this is going to get old. We'll see the cycle over and over. Do, 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 just, right? Is that some of our lies? We should hear that in the background over and over and over over again, wandering back to our lesser lovers, and, and God always, though, remains faithful to save his people. And we see that through the form of a deliverer, Othniel, in verse 9. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. God sent a rescuer. And then, um, in verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Cushon Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed over Cushon Rishathaim. So they had rest 40 years. I'm, you're going to see me struggling through a lot of hard words, by the way. It's just messed up. Guy with a stutter, stand up here trying to say these ancient words. So God sends rest. God sends a deliverer. And it says that the land had rest for 40 years. And it's, it's very important that we understand that the rest is not just a spiritual, ethereal rest. It's an all of life, an all-encompassing, a holistic rest. That God is not just a God of, you know, the spiritual stuff. But God gives his people deliverance in every way. In their work, in their relationships, in their life, in their relationship with him, in their homes. They experience rest. For 40 years. But then, what happens? It's good, right? They went to church camp. They got all good. Now they're good for the rest of life. Thanks, God, I got this. Well, no. Their deliverer died. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. The end of the cycle. And what happens? Right away, I'm gonna get, we'll get into this next story really intensely next week. But just kind of dip in with me. You can see in verse, in verse 12... And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. So you see the cycle will continue because the deliverer died. And, and guys, as we close right here, let's remember the overarching reality in Judges and in every one of our lives today is what? There's no king in Israel and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Because the deliverer that they had been sent could not deliver fully. And the rest that they experienced could not last forever. And Israel needed a king. 
And eventually, at the end of Judges, as it enters into the time of the kings, they start to catch on. They're like, hey, everyone else has kings. We need a king. Any king will do. Saul. And they try to find their own king. But listen to me. We need a king, but not just any king. And I know we're tempted to be like, this is America. We don't have kings. We don't do kings here, right? I'm, or we believe, or we trick ourselves into thinking that we can be our own kings and queens. But you can't. Let me tell you, whether you acknowledge it or not, and I say this in love as much as I can, you will always be ruled by something. Because you're a created being, created to be under the rule and reign and purposes of something or someone. And God's design, you're created to be ruled under his loving, shepherding, parental care so that your identity and your life and your purposes flow out of who he is and his love for you. And yet when we turn away from him, we say any other king will do. And we trick ourselves into believing that we can be our own rulers and what happens is we enter into that toilet cycle of being enslaved to whatever else we give rule over our lives. That for a season, drugs, relationships that are unhealthy, overwork, whatever it might be, we think we're in control for a season. But then we wake up and we see, man, I'm not controlling it, it's controlling me. And the cycle continues. But the good news that we see is there's an angst and anticipation building throughout all of Judges that you and I live in a day right now where we see the answer to it. The deliverer that was raised up time and time and time again for them died. And the king that they thought they could choose for themselves never came. But the good news of Jesus is this. We have a deliverer who chose to die, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and conquered death once and for all. And he brings a peace that will last forever. They won't have an end to it. They won't have a 40 years, 8 years, 9 years, whatever the cycle is. And the call right now today for you and me is to be honest enough with ourselves to recognize we need a king. You need to be ruled. That life where you do what is right in your own eyes is not the way life is supposed to be. It's slavery and destruction and oppression. And the good news, though, is though we left to ourselves will be unfaithful, God is always faithful to deliver those who call out to him. And so now let's respond now, specifically today, as well as throughout the next two months, or next, uh, yeah, next almost two months as we walk through this cycle, we see a good and gracious God, a delivering God, who calls his people to live life, remembering him as a light to the nations in response to his good power and character. Let's pray. Lord, um, we need you. Uh, I pray that, Lord, if I think that more than anything this morning, um, you've revealed our need for you. Lord, I pray that you will wake us up from our slumber. Lord, the, the, the wool that we have pulled over our own eyes to think we're in control, to think that we can be king, to think that we're not going to be ruled by something. Lord, I pray that you will reveal your faithfulness amidst our faithlessness. Lord, I pray that you will show us our desperate need for rescue. Lord, our desperate need to not live the way we want to, but to live 
in response to you and your character in light of who you are and what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray this for all of us individually. I pray for the families in this church. I I pray for a restoration of family, of legacy, of passing on the good news. I pray for us as a congregation, Lord, that we can raise up children, that we can disciple one another, that we can grow as followers of Jesus who, who emulate and enjoy the life that you created us to live where you are God and we are your people, where you are king and we flourish under your headship. We pray this in Jesus' name, the name of our deliverer and our king. Amen.